0: This is a message from our sponsors at Attain. If you work in marketing or advertising, you know ROI and outcomes have never been more important. And as the deprecation of third-party cookies looms, you're probably thinking about how to make up for the loss of that crucial data. Good news. Attain makes driving, measuring, and proving outcomes easier than ever, even in a cookie-less future. Attain is a commerce data company that helps marketers leverage privacy-first data to drive better outcomes across media activation and measurement. Their commerce data is 100% opted in, available in real time, and provides marketers with visibility into purchases made across all categories, all retailers, and all touch points. What does this mean for you? Whether you want to gain new customers, retain existing customers, or simply increase customer lifetime value, Attain's opted-in commerce data allows you to more efficiently and more effectively drive outcomes. With Attain's data, you can measure and optimize in real time based on real sales data. The best part, Attain's measurement and data solutions are available with major partners like The Trade Desk, LiveRamp, OpenX, and many more, making it easy to get started today. Visit attaindata.io to start browsing commerce data for free. Welcome to the Marketecture podcast. I'm Ari Paparo. I'm joined today by Eric Franchi and our special guest the one and only Joe Zawatsky, the founder of MediaMaths, the partner at Aperium Ventures, and the chairman of a new entity called FXM that we're going to hear about. Joe, thanks for being here. Thank you, Harry. Thank you, Eric. Hey, Joe. Nice to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> for those who aren't aware, Joe and Eric are partners in Aperium Ventures, so they probably see each other a lot. Um, so it's all one big happy family. Before we get started, I just want to plug uh, our latest interview at TV. So interestingly, we interviewed Tim Vanderhoek, the CEO of Viant, in the same week in which there were rumors and there was a Digiday article speculating that Viant and MediaMath were going to merge. So it'd be interesting to hear from Tim. He talks about MySpace and solar panels, if you can imagine that combination making sense. And it's free uh, for the rest of this week on MarketExtra TV. All right, let's get into it. So, Joe, I just tripped down memory lane for one second. Am I recalling correctly that we met when you did a consulting project for DoubleClick to tell us what was happening in programmatic advertising. Is that, is that an accurate memory, me and Brad Bender hiring you to teach us about programmatic? Amazingly enough, that is true. I was um, left my last business, X plus one,
1: uh, point extra systems prior to that, and uh, was just getting MediaMath started in the, let's see, the early part of 2007. And in those days, DoubleClick, prior to Google, although I think that uh, was just starting to be in the works, was trying to figure out how to support the buy side, how to do more sophisticated things around optimization, the ad exchange, you know, one a gleam in the eye. And uh, yeah. Neil Mohan, you, uh, Rubenstein, uh, sort of an amazing cast uh, was uh, brought us in and said, "Let's let's chat. Let's chat about the future of the." Uh, of the buy side and the future of optimization.
0: So you basically wrote a PowerPoint for us, got paid for it, and then used the money to start MediaMath. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think <laughs> more or less. And I, I think DoubleClick used the output to you know build a pretty pretty good next uh, next chapter. Wow, you're the Johnny Appleseed of programmatic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so let's talk investing first. Uh, both I guess this is both for Eric and Joe, since you guys are partners. Aperium is a firm that's looking. And investing actively in ad tech, which is very counterintuitive, counter a lot of the narrative. So, what are you looking at, and how's it going? Joe, I'll I'll let you start. Walk through sort of like the themes and and how you think about stuff because they hear from me
2: every week, and I can I could jump into some specifics from there.
1: Fair enough, and it is um this is so very meta because I've uh, shared with Eric before that uh, I find it fascinating that I listen to this podcast and um. I take Eric's, you know, voice from Zooms during the day to, um, you know, occasionally drive time with my wife, and uh, now I'm producing uh, one of these things. that I think it's like a nested third order uh, thing going on here. It's, it's, it's amazing. Uh, how do we think about things? You know, our, your 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 point, right? I think uh, because we have invested our, you know, lives in the space. You know, we are tried and true sort of at tech martech. Um, you know, enabling technology, enabling service, and uh, that's been sort of consistent, sort of despite the, you know, the generalist uh, VCs, you know, flirtations with the with the space. And um, uh, so, you know, we're often looking at the categories that we think will become important in you know five, you know, plus year time horizons, and then looking at the companies inside of it that we think um, you know will sort of define that category and um, sort of emerge, you know, as uh, you know, as winners. And, you know, I think we benefit, you know, both from the you know, experience as sort of former operators, and then because we're, you know, sort of sector focused and and sort of consistently so, you know, I think we like to keep our you know, our sort of skills honed in terms of like what's going on and how are clients thinking about things and, you know, brands and agencies how does, you know, what's going on in the media landscape, how are platforms you know, evolving in terms of, you know, their sort of, you know, competitive frame, what's going on with regulation and privacy and et cetera and um it's uh it's kind of made for uh, an issue
0: model right, so what are the things you're looking at that you think are going to be big in five years
1: yeah, so it's funny like the, the had you asked that five years ago, i think uh we we you know called some of the interesting ones you know on like c t v and retail media and uh et cetera I think the ones looking five years out, thinking a lot about you know what are the horizontal capabilities that if you You know, assume that we get through this, you know, particular moment of like punctuated equilibrium where I think there are a lot of the fundamentals that are being, you know, rewritten, you know, whether it's, um, you know, again, sort of Apple's impact on, uh, you know, sort of acceleration in the, you know, change to how companies in the space sort of, you know, move data around, how identity works, uh, you know, how, you know, regulators both through laws and through, um, you know, litigation are, you know, uh, forcing changes to the underpinnings, then you say, okay, you're going to come out the other side of this and, you know, the, the fundamentals will, you know, look different. And so that leads you to, you know, uh, probe in areas like what is measurement and attribution going to look like at the other side? If you assume continued fragmentation, because, you know, what's happened in retail media will not stay, uh, localized in, uh, this vertical every other vertical will have their own sort of vertical stacks in, you know, B2B and pharma, automotive and, um, and the like. And, you know, from the marketer's perspective, you're going to have, you know, yet another wave of sort of complexity to, to navigate. And you say, oh, what, are, what are you going to do about that? And this idea of, um, you know, cross-media horizontal capabilities in places like creative, for example, is an area that we think there's a lot more future opportunity. Clearly, the AI solutions, you know, are going from being below the waterline, you know, capabilities that, you know, ad was actually a early adopter of and, you know, are, you know, better than anybody from, you know, from the early days, but it wasn't, you know, sort of part of the popular consciousness. And it was not something that the end user was necessarily exposed to, but now it's out there. And, you know, companies like, you know, InstaLily, for example, that's creating, you know, basically AI middleware uh that you know connects the kind of latest and greatest you know uh, across uh modern sort of ai and and uh you know sort of generative solutions and making it tuned for the marketing department um you know mm. i think there's a huge amount of opportunity there so creative ai and various applications and then you know sort of measurement and attribution those are all areas that i'm particularly passionate
0: about. right and uh, what do you say to the haters or the doubters that say ad tech is over it's been won by a mixture of the trade desk, Google, and Meta, uh, and now we're all fighting over scraps. Well,
1: it's I mean, it's not you're
0: not seeing it in the data, even just on the you know the retail media and the CTV
1: front. You know, I think people are appreciating that there are um, you know meaningful pockets of growth that are um, you know coming out of areas that you know there there was an inexorable belief that every incremental dollar. Um, you know, was going to you know a handful of players, and you look at Amazon, you look at you know what um, Apple is doing to the existing status quo, and then anticipating you know what will come you know afterwards, and you start to appreciate. I mean, things continue to change really, really quickly, and there will be a new set of winners in the market. Now, it may be on top of and inside of those platforms. Like I, I like to. Trade desks. What is, you know? What's old is new in terms of you know powering sort of an app marketplace or the the you know, like, kind of on top of their infrastructure. But that does mean that there's dozens, hundreds of companies, um, you know, that can start at solve problems, create value, and tackle things that in a lot of cases people didn't necessarily think were problems. Um, right. And I won't front run, front run myself on sort of FXM, but um, you know, there's a,
0: a huge amount of I think opportunity sort of above and below the ad
1: stack, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, sure. So uh, a lot of people, frankly, ask me for introductions. Do you guys? Uh, I think uh, they they contact me on Twitter and they're like, hey, can you introduce me to Eric or Joe? So what do you it would be helpful, I think, for a lot of our listeners to hear, like, what are you looking for when someone sends you their pitch deck and it's an early stage company in this ad tech, martech world uh, looking for investment? What's a good pitch look like and and what are the things that you're probably going to pass on?
2: Ha. Uh Joe, you want me to take this one first? I was gonna say like that's uh...
0: <laughs> So wait <laughs> that's before you is. before you do, my understanding is like like basically Joe, you're a good cop and Eric's bad cop. Is that is that a good characterization?
1: <sighs> no, I think I think we
0: bring I think we
1: bring different lenses to things. I think I mean Eric is a consummate operator. I mean he's um you know, he is he is the guy that you know runs the investment processes is the one that sort of brings the broader apurium, you know, portfolio, you know, around a company both in the evaluation stage and then in the you know, support for those businesses. So, um, I will ask him to, you know, take the baton, but no, I think um I generally like things more than Eric does. That is true. I think that's where the good cop reputation comes from. <laughs>
0: uh,
1: but, uh, but I also think our, our viewpoints have sort of after five and a half years of, uh you know, converged into, yeah, we kind of know what we collectively right. like and, uh, and we know the things that uh, we tr- we both collectively avoid. Uh,
0: okay. So I interrupted my own question, Eric, tell us about what you're looking for, or what you're not looking for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just w- w- one
2: more beat on that. So I think it's, Less good cop, bad cop, and more. I think you know we've we've sort of like stylistically uh, we're different, and we, I think we've been referred to a l- little bit of a, as the odd couple in terms of you know how we might work, how we might communicate, how we might pack for trips. Um, <laughs> we've got like op- opposites in in some pretty funny ways, so we can t- talk about that offline. Anyway, so you guys share a room when you go to camp. <laughs> no comments. <laughs> no, we don't share rooms. Anyway, so. What we look for, so I think you know, n- number one is a business operating in these areas that we think are you know super interesting and poised for the next gen- you know sort of next generation of transformation and growth, right? So obvious areas from a category and vertical that we might look at is very broadly you know this shift to streaming, a la TV, the retail media wave the, you know, sort of like all things next generation infrastructure. Those have been great areas of, you know, investment for us for now five years. And we think there's a lot of growth ahead and layer AI sort of as a, its own vertical and on top of it. Right. So it's like, are you playing in an area we think is poised for growth or is there something completely not obvious that we're missing that, you know, might be sort of an interesting adjacent market. So I think that's number one. Number two, we weight team extremely heavily doesn't necessarily mean that a team needs to have uh, ad tech experience, ad tech chops, but you know some sort of like interesting story, uh, history, domain expertise in particular, as we talk about AI, I think we're going to weight that really high. Number three, it's going to be vision. Can we get behind what a team believes the future looks like if it's something that we might not necessarily think it, it ultimately looks like. And then, you know, as we go down the line, what does the product look like? What is the traction? You know, so on and so forth. So, you know, we like to be early stage investors for a, n- a number of reasons. We think they're sort of particularly suited to, to that from a, an investing standpoint. We think there is, you know, obviously disproportionate returns from that standpoint. And, you know, the earlier it is, though, the more we need to rely on our conviction around team and vision rather than product and market and traction. Right. So what's sort the of traction? are you looking at? It or, or is it just very? I mean, we've invested in businesses. Some of our best investments, frankly, have been um, two founders and a PowerPoint. And that's not necessarily the, the, the rule. From a traction standpoint, you know, is there some sort of evidence of product market fit vis-a-vis uh, successful initial pilots? Or you know, is this a business that's existing and operating and you know, is on the way to um, some sort of, you know, kind of sweet spot of ARR that might make it a classic seed or A-stage bet? Got it,
0: Joe. Anything to add? Uh, that's...
1: Yeah, it's something that you know Eric often says.
0: So I'm uh,
1: glad I get to share it. But it's often like, where can we be helpful,
0: right? And so
1: you know, companies that are sort of uh, interested in uh, connections to other companies in the portfolio, companies that you know are sometimes early stage and they have the you know the classic questions around, you know, how do I navigate the agency, for example. Either operating agency level or the whole level, you know, you know companies that are in the, they call it the A stage. So, you know, have a working product, but are thinking about, you know, globalization, you know, uh, how do you sort of take a UK based business, for example, and, uh, you know, make it relevant to the US and what are the, you know, tips, tricks and uh, and traps uh, to, you know, to that. And um, so we, you know, we tend to obviously gravitate to businesses that, you know, we we understand, and we kind of understand the sort of secular trends that they're you know, sort of getting behind, but then we also think, okay, why, like, why a Um in particular? Where can we, um, you know, sort of create leverage or value um, in addition to you know a reasonably small uh, seed check? Um, and that's kind of where we where we like focus.
0: Well, let's talk about your new thing. So, uh, FXM, the F and the M are capitalized. The X is a lowercase X. Um, I guess that's official. It, this is sort of in the convergence of ad tech and finance. Why don't you take us through that, Joe? Yeah. And so first, of, all, and also, what's your involvement? Yeah. So, big. i connect connected to you know Ethereum a little bit. So,
1: you know, one of the things that uh, you know Eric and I have been focused on is okay, where does the you know sort of where does the franchise go? And then uh, to some extent, it's also been about supporting later stage businesses. So either the you know Fund One companies that have grown up and are performing, and we're you know talking about um, a B round, for example, and often ones that you know look like industry utilities, and we can help support them not just with you know corporate investment, but also catalyzing strategic investment, iris TV or the otherwise. And then we also look at the other end of the spectrum and said, hey, in most cases, you know, we're responding to an existing team with uh, an existing idea. And again, it may be, you know, two people in a PowerPoint. It may be a you know working product with commercial traction, but you know, it's early stage and we're you know kind of supporting the entrepreneurs. What happens if there's a very, very clear opportunity and nobody's doing it yet? Well why don't we do the, you know, sort of the classic, um, perhaps now, you know, incubation, think about sort of a domain focused Alicorp 2.0, mm-hmm. uh, maybe the you know, sort of best, uh, you know, best cognate. And FXM is, uh, you know, first on the list and perhaps first in my heart, uh, of sort of founding that business, although quickly moved to bring in a founding team and a founding CEO. And so the, uh, I'll talk a little bit about the, maybe the name is a good, uh, is a good <laughs> transition, but, uh, FXM is finance X media, um, and that's both uh, X media now. You know, focused on the evolution of how media is finance, and then also the fact that I think first twenty-five years in the career was largely around getting the CMO to appreciate that the CTO is pretty important and vice versa. Like like the joke at the beginning, right? A lot of people went into marketing because uh, they didn't like technology and they didn't like math. And you know, lo and behold, here we are, and uh, it's the sort of underpinnings to to kind of modern marketing. Great. So, you know, obviously lots of work to do. Let's not, let's not, um, you know, claim victory, um, acknowledging that there's another, you know, uh, set of departments that need to play nicely. And that's the, uh, CMO and the CFO, um, and ultimately kind of the rest of the C-suite and for a really good reason, right? You think about how big of an investment, you know, media and advertising is for most companies. And it's like second or third, you know, single cog on the, you know, corporate budget. Uh, Vinny Romaldi over at uh, you know Hershey's, I'm um, sort of a, a friend and and uh, somebody I, I just really respect uh, how he thinks about the world. But uh, he said on this uh, panel at the you know Possible Conference that we uh, hosted, he said, you know, look, uh, Hershey's number one cog is cacao, and basically our number two cog is the media that we buy in order to market our cacao. Right, and that's kind of true across you know any company, any vertical, you know, anywhere in the world, and. Uh, Given its uh size and its importance and you know the fact that marketing is, you know, such a differentiator, uh, where a lot of other kind of moats have eroded in, in sort of today's world, you're starting to see a lot more CFOs, a lot more CEOs, a lot more boards and to focus on okay, like how am I actually investing this money? So
0: that's sort of the backdrop. There's quite an elevator pitch. I think we're on the sixtieth floor already and uh <laughs> here, here we... we're getting that buzzing noise. <laughs> you 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 did tell me, you were like, Hey, try to keep your
1: answers short. Now it's like have you, have you met me
0: <laughs> so all right so we're uh, finance and media okay what, what is it what does it do all right so here we
1: go uh it's basically a fintech for media or a fintech for ad tech so we kind of look at the way that media is currently financed and realize it is ridiculous it's ridiculous that the money is attached to the transactions the technology transaction flows in this like super complicated So bear with me for like a little bit more, you know, Mm -hmm. now 40,000 feet. Advertiser gives money to an agency who gives money to a DSP, who gives money to an SSP, who gives money to another SSP, who gives money to a publisher. That's like an average supply chain, right? And right now, every one of those entities is basically managing its own like working capital because everybody has clients that want to pay them slowly. Everybody has uh, suppliers that want to get paid more quickly. And uh, uh, there's, you know, a lot of unnecessary tax Both like hard financing costs when you you know finance and refinance the same you know uh, dollar from Procter and Gamble three and a half times on average at the cost of credit of uh, these small startups in between. And if you zoomed out and you said, well, which how should this actually work if you designed this uh, you know this this half trillion dollar media ecosystem in a different way? uh, Well, you wouldn't do it like that. And so I won't like give the. The whole FXM, you know, story, but basically, we're a conduit between the capital markets, you know, supply chain, trade finance, uh, you know, capital sources, credit sources, and ad tech, and basically making it easy for the industry to pay for its media in a better way than it is today.
0: So, uh, one question that comes up for me on this conversation is that aren't there parties who I won't name uh, who really benefit from the dysfunction in the financial chain in ad tech? They like to pay really late, really slowly, keep vendors on their feet, et cetera.
1: Of course. Yeah. I mean, that's, um, you know, never try to convince somebody of something that their um, paycheck is dependent on, you know, them, them not understanding it. Uh, it was, but that's been true that's been throughout. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's sort of funding, uh, stubbornly uh, looking to sort of change change the way that uh, that, that folks do things. But it is a, it's a good acknowledgement. Ultimately, consequences of that are greater than the value. I think a lot of it is just legacy behavior. It's just kind of the way things have always been done. We basically found a way to unpack about 20% or you know, call it high teens percent of the value that goes through this ecosystem, take it out of unnecessary financing, both hard and soft costs, and redistribute it to the principals, right? Good, right. Advertisers money back or extended time to pay in a way that doesn't put a lot of pressure downstream for them right? Like Dr. Pepper curing 360-day payment terms, you know, do all your work for the agency, you know, uh, platforms, media companies, and a year from now, I'm going to pay you, right? The model just doesn't make sense. And uh, the reality is that the cost of dealing with that is greater than the value that the, you know, Dr. Pepper of the world actually capture. But basically, we can do it in a way that um, doesn't cause everyone to feel a lot of pain. That was like a light bulb moment for me when, you know, Everything was in its
2: formative stages where, you know, Joe and team identified that 20% effectively tax, which is probably a large percentage of the so-called ad tech tax that we love to talk about on this show so so often. And the value
0: extraction may not necessarily be like operating ad tech companies to banks. Someone pointed out to me that there's sort of a lower limit on how far the fee from a DSP can go because it's relative to interest rates so interest rates are now five percent or whatever five and a half percent so if you ask your dsp to take a seven percent fee on their media they have to think really hard about how those two things interact. so I, I don't want to finish this conversation without talking a bit about media math um so that was that was a big part of your life you know what 12 years is that how many years you're like 14 14 oh my god you know did amazing things you're not you're not involved with it at all anymore so uh, i guess what what worked out differently than you expected like if you if you were to read the media math business plan 14 years ago and now now in hindsight you know how how did it not work out the way you expect or did work out the way you expect yeah look i'm i remain sort of
1: super proud of the you know the organization and what it uh, what it accomplished just in terms of advancing the cause of all these things right media and math You know, being one of the, you know, the pioneers, I think in uh, kind of the modern, uh, you know, modern marketing. And, uh, you know, that was sort of true throughout the, you know, most of the, you know, the company's history, you know, there were a couple of key moments and, uh, you know, some of the sort of channeling of the, you know, natural uh, desire to keep innovating. Was you know one of the things that I think made the you know sort of company great right from the beginning and sort of constantly kind of rethinking you know what's kind of what's next and and what's possible that was you know true around transparency it was true around you know kind of supporting you know brands and agencies sort of you know perhaps earlier than the market realized was you know was sort of the right time the we're seeing now of course that you know brands are quite involved but obviously. Thinking about it as a triumvirate, or thinking about it as a you know sort of a, a collective uh, where everybody's sort of working together to, to solve problems, I think those are all you know the right ideas. I think sometimes um, alignment and making sure that both the market and the internal organization were all moving in the same you know direction was uh, you know sometimes a, a challenge, just as the as companies scale and needing to. And sort of incorporate that the long run is made up of this series of short runs, and you've got to bring everybody you know, along with you is critically important. And then had a very fateful, ultimately decision to you know bring in private equity, where the misalignment and the kind of uh, lack of everybody you know working together is ultimately what um, you know caused the, caused the business to um, not sort of achieve its uh, perhaps its manifest destiny,
0: um, at least in sort of current form. Right. Those PE guys don't play. They just took the Instapot down. On that note, uh, let's take a break. So we have a lot of news of the week. We want to talk about the EU demanding the Google split, the MadHive monster funding and some other things. So we'll be back in one moment. All right. This is a paid commercial advertisement from our sponsor, Flash Talking by MediOcean. This ad was written by the architecture AI. So the copy was written by the AI and I'm going to read it for you. Hey there, architecture listeners. It's your favorite ad tech guru, Ari Paparo, here to talk about our sponsor for today's episode, Flash Talking by MediaOcean. Now, you might be thinking, Flash Talking? That sounds like a superhero with a really specific power. But let me tell you, Flash Talking is actually a powerful ad platform that helps brands and agencies deliver amazing digital experiences to their audiences. With Flash Talking, you can create and deliver personalized ads that really resonate with your target customers. And the best part, you can do it all in one place thanks to MediaOcean's seamless integration. So if you're tired of juggling multiple ad platforms and want to streamline your digital advertising efforts, head over to MediaOcean.com slash flashtalking to learn more. Trust me, your customers will thank you for it. That's MediaOcean.com slash flashtalking. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of MarketEcture. So, news of the week. The big news is that the EU is joining the U.S. in demanding that Google split up. So the EU found uh, issued a preliminary finding that Google's dominant and abusive. It was a pretty brief document. Um, I don't think anyone's seen the long form. They put out something that was sort of akin to a press release um, saying that the only remedy they saw was a split. They didn't explicitly say that the publisher side should split off, but it was implied. And they had a diagram that was kind of humorous where they just had a, literally a clip art scissors. Chopping adx and Gam off of Google. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what they were thinking with that. And as a recap, just I'll, I'll note that the uh, US Justice Department suit also is explicitly asking for that as the remedy that Gam and edX get spun off. None of them are asking for YouTube or DV360 to have any constraints on them. Super interesting, in my opinion. Joe, uh, any thoughts on this? Oh, it's a, it's a complicated answer um <laughs> it, it uh it, it it really is um i don't know would you take the job if they were like joe we, we need you to run gam as an independent company
1: <laughs> uh, other than trying to avoid up like you know, deep operating roles which this would uh you know absolutely necessitate, i think it'd be pretty fun you know i think the google has such a um important role in the, you know, underpinnings of how the industry works. The opportunity to kind of define how the market uh, is going to work next uh, with so much scrutiny from all forces, um, where almost any answer is going to make somebody sad is just, it's got to be brutal. And you know, and you know, some of the reasons why there's like real benefits, right? Like, Super fragmented unregulated market without uh you know some uh guiding force, even in the form of a commercial entity like google um is pretty chaotic right uh, right and I don't know I don't know that you know net benefit of a you know split up especially you know with uh uh kind of incentive and uh untangling is like necessarily better for the actual industry,
0: yeah. Um, Would a publisher make more money with an independent Google publisher ad stack than they do now? I think there's a real question mark on that. They might make less money. It might be more competitive. They may have more options and Magnite could come in and offer them, you know, a better option than they currently have. But the integration of this ad stack into the rest of Google probably has enormous amounts of benefits in terms of generating additional yield. Yeah, I think that's right. All right. When, when Connor
2: was on from Luma, when, when the US uh, news broke, we, we
0: pegged our odds. I think we came out at like 50 50, right? Yeah. Of a breakup actually happening? Yeah. I, I'm pretty, I'm on, the, I'm on the yes side. I think it's going to happen. Yeah.
2: But I think, you know, amongst the three of us, it was 50 50. Was you know, does, so questions. Number one, does the EU doing this tilt the odds in, you know, the favor of a breakup happening? Maybe. Yeah, I think that maybe. Yeah, that's number one. Number two, the alternative is some sort of massive fine, which Google can pay, right? They've 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 certainly got the catch position to do so. Does that become more likely? And then, you know, number three, to Joe's point, I haven't really thought about it in that way before. Like, is this actually going to be a net beneficiary for the ecosystem that's been built on top of it? That's a no. So this is like kind of weird the the way it's going. My, My only ask
1: is Joe, if you if you take the job. Let me run PMAX. Yeah, sure, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. You know, um, you know there's, there's something, you know, to this. Like, does the current state of tension and scrutiny, is that a perpetually good thing? You know, if Google was just in a position where they were really, really thoughtful around anything that they were doing internally, they were also making available externally, you know, where they weren't doing some of the things that, um, you know, created the most concern for people in the, You know, explicit sort of self dealing, and you know, kind of uh, below the line economics or bias. If it was a like a truly open, you know, regulated system, you know, there's obviously uh, caveats and there's you know risks to that as well. But is the current state of tension a perpetually good thing? I don't know.
0: Yeah, I think it's also interesting that almost all of the abuses were in the past. Um, the The state of the Google ecosystem at this state doesn't have first look, doesn't have last look. They're not doing Bernanke anymore. All these things that they did, these abuses are gone. And so you could argue that that we're solving an old, old problem or that regulation would be a better answer on the sell side. On the buy side, it's a different story. And like I said just a minute ago, neither the U.S. or the EU is demanding changes to the buy side. So DV360 will retain its exclusive ability to buy YouTube and a lot of other benefits, which in my view are Plainly anti-competitive, but I'm not a lawyer and uh, I didn't file the suits. Yeah.
2: And at the end of the day, these are these are transactions that um, the SEC and and other, uh, you know, sort of like regulators, they they gave consent for. Right. So to your point, it's like going back and undoing things that were done 15 plus years ago.
0: Yeah. All right. Let's move on. So um, Tremor, a uh, public company that was built on many, many acquisitions of many, many different brands. As rebranded as Nexen, N-E-X-X-E-N. Quick thumbs up, thumbs down on the new name.
1: <laughs> cool. Halodromes are cool. I wish there was a way to do it where the you didn't just have like left-right symmetry, but you had top-down symmetry. Like yeah. Just the you can just capitalize Ns and then figure out what to do with E's would have been really
0: cool. I was thinking about getting the domain like U E X X E U, which would be <laughs> upside down, because they use lowercase ends. I'm um, thumbs up. Um I think, you know, as
2: as companies reach a certain maturity level and, you know, there's been significant acquisitions, you got to do this. So, uh, Magnite, I think has done a really good job of, you know, over time becoming Magnite, where it was Rubicon project and then Telaria and so so on and so forth. So there's, I think now a, you know, well-trodden path to, you know, doing this to move on to the next phase of growth and looks like they've they've done it and Nexon is as fine a name as, as any. It's super hard to name companies. Like <laughs> the, like it is really hard to name companies between, you know, every English word being trademarked, between, you know, the ability to sort of like fight over uh, you know, sort of like generic words. You have to either create your own word, i.e. Nexon, or you need to move on to other languages, i.e. Aperium or Kokai.
0: Wait, Aperium? what language is Aperium? It's Latin. It's Latin for open. Yeah. Yeah. I used to make this joke uh, that uh, you couldn't trust an ad tech company that had an X in its name. And someone's like, your company's named Beeswax. And I was like, oh, shit, I forgot about that X. <laughs> so uh, that shows you um, the, um, the the one thing that controversy, many controversy, we always have to have some controversy on Nexon is that their logo looks a lot like Freewheels logo and they are a direct competitor to Freewheel. So they they if you look at the two logos, you could see a bunch of tweets about it. They're both purple. They both have these weird backwards lowercase E's. It's a it's a it's a bit close. Um you so, got to watch that stuff. There uh-huh. are there are infringement firms
2: that just look for these opportunities. And obviously these are businesses that can they've got the capacity
0: and capital to duke it out, but who wants that? Yeah. Yeah. I I don't think it was intentional, but it is pretty striking. All right. So there was a pretty huge funding announcement. So we're in this world where there's no M&A going on. Uh, there seems like there's not a lot of funding going on. It's a bit quiet in the financial world. And then Madhive, a company that, you know, probably not a lot of people have heard of outside of the ad tech bowels, uh, raised $300 million from Goldman Sachs. Uh, so that's, that's a big number. Um, Eric, some thoughts on this? Yeah, no problem. Um, I do take
2: uh some offense to you um referring to ad tech as the bowels, but what <laughs> but,
0: uh, <laughs> the bowels of ad tech. This is the bowels tech. of ad tech.
2: <laughs> it's not at all the bowels of ad tech. <laughs> it's outside of the fact that it's not an Imperium company. This is this is C C T V and infrastructure for for CTV. Um so so a couple things. I think A validates uh the original question, one of the original questions you asked Joe, which is, you know, what what do you say to you know people that you know point to ad tech as a as in a category that's you know not good for investment. You see you know, like one of the best white shoe, white glove, I don't know what, what you call Goldman Sachs financial firms making an investment in a ad tech company, a CTV focused ad tech company. So I think A, sort of just validation that this is has been and will continue to be a great sector so and and subsectors to invest in. That's number one. Um number two, three hundred million is a lot of money. It is. isn't so the, you know, ad, our, our buddy, uh, ad tech, god asked a, a question or tagged me in a, in a question like, what the hell do you do with that amount of capital? And I think the, you know, the, the, you know, the classic, uh, examples are number one, you know, double down on sales and marketing. Number two have, you know, plenty of powder for acquisitions and number three, international expansions. So I think, you know, they had some pretty generic stuff to say, uh, and I'd imagine all of that is swirling around in their mind. I mean, to me, I would be doubling down on AI, and you know you need to have in today's world of GPU cost and and sort of like talent cost, um, significant capital to put to work to invest in AI. So that may or may not be something that they're they're necessarily thinking about. But I mean, to me, I wasn't surprised. Like these, there's very few scaled CTV assets um, that are out there on the on the market. So again, when you know, our portfolio company Transmit Live had you know that other like sort of like large. Partial exit earlier this year. Uh, it's like these companies are doing great. They're rare assets. This is where the where the world is going.
1: Couple of thoughts and maybe uh, added yeah. it to that. I mean, looking yeah. at the you know point number one. I think sometimes people forget that you know big financing rounds of three hundred million dollars into you know late stage private businesses probably have a meaningful amount of money, right. Right. So it's not all going into the business for you know value creation. Um, you know, uh, organic. Or- but of course, Goldman can always follow up this investment with subsequent uh, ones. You know, so that that's a path pole So, um, you know, that's you know, point number one. Point number two, it does seem like Goldman is sort of circling around uh, perhaps a broader theme, right? Um, you know, I Spa, human, and uh, again, I'm not even entirely sure they're all coming from the same group. So it's a a pretty big um, organization. These are the Goldman Sachs, um, and uh, um, but if you look at the through line. Investments. It does seem like a you know a disruption, perhaps in the TV uh, measurements. In you know Mad Hive. it's real differentiator. I think is uh, perhaps less about the sort of self service TV. It's a little more about the access to the um, you know local media and the fact that a lot of the uh, broadcasters also use the platform to power their uh, dis- sort of distributed local sales forces to be able right. to. You know, kind of self-service into the um, you know into into their own environments in a lot of cases, and so you know there's a little bit of like other country heard from orthogonal assets that seem to be you know combining into a a bigger thesis around where this could go. A little bit like how you know GTCR put together Dreamscape, and there's like a very clear uh, thesis around the kind of media planning you know um, uh, side of the equation. And I think some of the scaled PEs are perhaps uh, you know both. Opportunistic when they see you know single deals that have the characteristics of you know growth and profitability and you know a cap table that's ready to um invite in a uh, presumably a new majority owner you know thing one, but if you assemble enough of them and you get them to work together, um you can you know sort of move markets
0: and uh, i I would be looking at that um as the you know sort of the underlying thesis behind these things. yeah, I think Goldman was also an InnoVid, which went public later. But I guess one follow-up question, which is if we didn't see the valuation, I thought, but I think people are saying, some people are saying seven hundred fifty million, someone were saying a billion as the entry point for Goldman here. Um, that sort of implies that they expect the IPO market to open up and this to be a candidate, or um, that's how I would read it. Is that how you guys would read it? Yeah, I would I would imagine. Um look, G- Goldman knows how to make money and I think that's the
2: other thing that I that, <laughs> that I mentioned in the in the thread on 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 Twitter. Um so even if this was like mostly secondary, the signal is, you know, Goldman's coming in, you know, into a into a market that they've got a thesis around and you know they're they're investing and they're they're doing this to make money. So yeah, I would I would imagine this ends up, you know, becoming part of just speculating some sort of potential you know, public story, or there's you know some sort of like larger PE thing that uh, that maybe you know, sort of like building in parallel um, thesis,
0: building in parallel, per Joe. All right, I think that's a good place to stop. This was a great conversation. A lot of really interesting news this week, Joe. Thank you so much for being here. This is uh, and congratulations on your new thing, uh, FXM, and uh, you know keep in touch on the pod. We'll maybe we'll have you back when things develop even further. Love well, it. Would be honored to be back. Thank you, bestie. Thank you.
1: <laughs> Thank you for subscribing to Markitecture. New interviews are added every week at markitecture.tv and your favorite podcasting app.